What's a good opening when you start with the word and? (laughs) There's something good about that. There's a few books of the Bible that actually begin with the word and. Really? Yeah. Did you know, I think Exodus, I believe, begins with, it doesn't show up in the English translations, but in uh, Hebrew, it starts with the word and. And these are the names of all the people who came out of Egypt. Oh. Suggesting to you that this is not the beginning of something. It's a continuation of a story and a narrative. Well, welcome. Which is what this podcast is. Yeah, so welcome to The Word on the Hill with the Lanky Guys. That got a little real, didn't it? <laughs> it did. Was that too much? No, it was awesome. Was okay. Didn't mean to I launch it. into that into it a fe- diatribe. It, it felt cool. It felt like we did something you knew and unique. Uh, you knew and unique. I'm just happy that you started with the Renand. It struck me. Yeah. Well done. Yeah. Oh, you guys! Um, welcome to uh, welcome to it. <laughs> that's uh, Dr. Scott Powell and, and Father Peter Musset. That's Father Peter Musset over there. Yeah. Yep. And, did uh, we say what the name of the podcast is? Yeah. The Word on the Hill, Lanky Guys, all that stuff. Uh huh. Okay. Cool. Yeah, yeah. I, I did it instead of you stealing it from me. I was just time. focused on uh, on literary biblical techniques. <laughs> so that's fine. I'm glad you're doing that, dude. I, I my contribution, and I've decided that I'm going to work on this in my life. Okay. okay, is that the structure? Your contribution, like to the world, to yeah, culture, yeah. to uh-huh, society. Yeah, like, okay. like this is I, not I your contribution to the podcast. I mean, it's to the podcast okay, okay, too. Okay. I mean, let's hear. Uh, is that the structure of reality is literary? Okay. 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 Period. I do you think that's true? I do. But isn't literature also reflecting the structure of reality? Absolutely. It's a chicken or the egg kind of a deal. Right. Is, oh, do see. we have literature because um, uh, the, uh, the structure of reality is literary? Yes. Or do we uh, have a structure of reality imposed upon our brains because we read literature? No, I think the first, the latter for sure. No, the uh, former, former. I was the former, the first. Yeah, the, 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 the first one. The, the idea that this the structure of reality sure. is literary, and we know that. Again, not to get too. I don't know if you're trying to be. You're not being silly. You're being. I'm being serious. serious. But we know this started from the biblical tradition, partially because we know the Bible doesn't come to us initially in its written form. It comes out of oral tradition that was very carefully and with great consideration passed down before it took literary form. Right. Which tells us that the literary reality of it existed before it was written down. And I think that that's why, like the the cave paintings at La Salle and Le Sue or Les Cow, the the cave pa- whatever the cave paintings are, wherever that are old, you not, know, not Le Sue, old the cave paintings. <laughs> okay, okay, good enough. <laughs> um, that they're telling stories, absolutely in a visual form. Yeah, absolutely. So, so maybe it would be better said that the nature of reality is is narrative. Hmm. Rather I than like li- that. I wonder if literary form has a specific sort of context. It is narrative for sure. It though. is narrative. And the narrative structure can be of... oral. It can be written. It can be mm, okay. I like that. I like that amendment on a Saturday morning. Which because I am endeavored always to study how story works. Yeah, and in whatever form. And I mean that's the reason why. What happens when you have a pandemic is that everybody watches Netflix and Amazon Prime <laughs> and Disney Plus. Yeah. And everything, and then the theater shut down, and then our home theaters get a glowing. Oh, the home theater. I get it. Get a yeah. glowing. Yeah, get a glowing. <laughs> I like how you said that. And then, and then, then Plato like, t- cries to us and says, you are just living in the cave. Come out into reality. Come from two dimensions into three. Yeah, there's also the, the, the important reality of wanting 
yeah, a narrative can be an escape, but it can also be something that teaches us about the world around us and what's actually happening. Which right? is so complex and wonderful. And if we don't know narrative, and if we don't know the narrative of history, then it's going to be real hard to make sense of what's happening in the world. Because Absol- as the famous saying goes, which I love, history doesn't always repeat itself, but it does rhyme. Right. And so we can understand the signs of the times if we go back and see what history has taught us. We can which, see the signs of the times and find the rhymes, which and is, that would be wonderful. I like what you're doing there. And, and actually refine the way in which we think oh, and drink. and Oh, there it is. There it is. And plink but with that our really, little guns. That is actually um, a great intro to these readings because they're basically telling the story in a certain sense. At least the first, uh, first reading of the gospel are in a lot of ways talking about how history rhymes and history um, knowledge of the narrative of salvation history in this case is necessary for understanding what God is doing in the world. Hmm. That's actually one of my takeaways from this. And uh, actually, also the second reading, I'm going to tell you. Oh, no, uh, the, uh, the, uh, the psalm, which is actually which the is song. Which is not a psalm. Which is not, the, <laughs> not from the psalms, but from Daniel. Which is weird, and it threw me off a little bit. Yeah. But we'll get to that in a second. It is the feast of the, holy, the solemnity of the Holy Trinity. Right. And which, if we were counting, it would be the 10th Sunday in ordinary time. But we're not. But we're not counting because it's it's not a, <laughs> we could because it's not a counting one it's it's not ordinal. But that means the next time we're in ordinary time it'll be the twelfth, right? Because next Sunday is something significant as well. If uh, I'm not mistaken. Uh, holy body and blood. Body is and blood. Yeah, Corpus yeah. Christi is next week. Yeah, 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 yeah. So for the solemnity of the Most Holy Trinity, our, our first, first reading, reading is, is from... coming from. <laughs> Go for it. You can have it. I'm going to give it to you. I'm going to be generous and I'm going to give it to you. I get to. Uh, you know, take what? it. Please. No. Oh you. my gosh. Exodus 34, verse 4b, going through 6, and then jumping through 8 through 9. And then our responsorial <sighs> psalm, uh, our, the song of the three men in the um, furnace is Daniel chapter 3, 52, 53, 54, 55, with a response coming from 52b. Which you could also just say 50 through 52 through 55. You but never choose not to. Yeah. No, you've you've attuned me to how bizarre it is that that is not done. I know, but that's that's but it's why I... because there it's not it's not like the form of the first reading where it's you're reading it through. We're taking it in the form of strophes, right? You're you're reading the passages individually, right? It's, because it, it's a responsorial. It's it's almost like when you're singing a song to yourself and you just sing the cor- the choruses and the verses that you know, but the other oh, ones. I got one hand in my pocket and, and the, the other, other one's giving a high five. <laughs> Sorry, but as soon as you said that, that, that's what started playing in my head. That's not the same song. <laughs> All right. Our second reading is from 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verses verse 11 through 13. Okay, so then our gospel <laughs> is uh, coming from John three sixteen. Um, so to through eighteen. So this is football. This is this is looking forward verse. to the football yep. season. Are we going to have football with social oh. distancing or not? And then the the the, the uh, Alleluia verse is Revelation one eight. What? Oh, it is. Oh, I didn't even notice that. Ooh, Revelation. Glory to the Father and to the Son. Which can and I the say? Holy Spirit. Can I say that's the only one aside from the second reading that actually mentions the holy trinity explicitly <laughs> on the solemnity of the holy trinity is the antiphon for the gospel which i got to tell you so at first at first glance i Bl- was sort blush. of Say at first, first blush say first blush i was looking for something other than glance yeah. at first blush i was actually frustrated by it cuz i'm like it's the solemnity of the holy trinity none of these readings are explicit about the holy trinity <laughs> I know. but then i started really loving it because this is sort of the nature of the holy the, the holy trinity is I think one of the most, if not the most complicated, difficult to wrap one's brain around 
um, theological doctrines of the church, right? So How I gave it to the, the deacon to preach. <laughs> oh, it's today. It's the deacon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This Sunday. is his first Sunday Good preaching, which just like it's just kind of a righteous passage. But the, but it's it's appropriate in some way because the nature of the Trinity doesn't present itself in some clean, neat, objective, formulaic way. Right. It's embedded in narrative, right? right? It's embedded and he is in God, the Trinitarian God is embedded subtly um, in the rest of the narrative. Right. And so there's something appropriate about the fact that the church didn't just go, because you could imagine someone just going and cherry picking, okay, where all the places in the Bible you can see some sort of reference to the Trinity. And I'm going to choose all of those for the readings. But that, that wouldn't be appropriate because that's not how the Trinity works. God right. doesn't reveal himself that way. He subtly embeds himself in history, in revelation, in the in way mystery. that mystery moves through time, right. which is what we actually get this week. And that, So I, I started frustrated, and then I turned kind of happy about it because God doesn't like to make it easy. And I don't mean that like in a snarky way, but salvation history is not easy. It's not easy to be like, oh, well, this equals this, and this is, this is clean, and this is easy. Right. I'm reading back through the, the whole of the Chronicles of Narnia right now, and I love— The Chronicles of what? <laughs> nice. <laughs> And I love the Chronicles of Narnia. I, I'm a big fan of Lewis, but I love the Chronicles of Narnia because, and even Lewis wouldn't go so far, but it, it is, in a certain sense, an allegory of the faith, which Lewis was uncomfortable with that uh, so, with that designation. But I like it because it's different than like a metaphor. It's not like you can read a story and be like, oh, this equals this. Aslan equals Jesus, and these people equal these people, which is not what the story does. And if you read the whole of this narrative, it's not like, oh, that equals that cleanly, and this is a version of that, and this is a metaphor for that thing. It's something that is a whole different story and world and narrative that kind of reminds me of my spiritual life and the way that I move through the world in light of Jesus Christ and my faith. That, I think, is so much more useful than, oh, this equals this and that equals that. And it's just like this, because this is where narrative and story can evoke our imaginations to say, oh, it's kind of like that. And that gives me some tools and insight into moving through this world. Does that make any sense? Yeah. Uh, dictionary, allegory, a story, poem, or picture that can be interpreted to reveal a hidden meaning, typically a moral or political one. Absolutely. Or religious. Or religious, moral, religious. Yeah, you can you can conflate those. Yeah. Yeah, so, I, and that's, it's not exactly what the scriptures are doing, but we want to be a people, and this is a frustration I have with history, with faith life, with politics, with everything else. We want, especially as somebody who teaches the Bible for a living, we want to be a people that can go into the Bible and pick up a verse and be like, it's this equals this. I'm right about this particular issue because this thing says it, right? And we want to cherry pick and we want to go and we want to weaponize the Bible in all these ways rather than to say, no, you actually need to take the long game and understand the story to not weaponize it and throw it as a, you know, some apologetic at somebody else that you want to prove wrong, but to understand this is what life actually is. And that, I think, and I'm not trying to get too esoteric here, but that's actually what the readings are doing this week in a weird mm. way. Yeah. And so what we have in our first reading is from Exodus 34, which is this very, it, it doesn't, you don't get how significant this moment is just from reading the text itself. The context is everything here. Because Exodus 34 comes, <laughs> I was about to say immediately, but in fact, two chapters after Exodus 32. Surprise, surprise. And do you remember what happened in Exodus 32? No. One of the most significant things that happens in the entirety of the Bible. Giving of the commandments. No. Well, does that, it right around there, we're, we're really close. Mm. 
But 32 specifically is the fall is the, the sin of the golden calf, which is right when it's happening simultaneously with right. Moses receiving the commandments. That's why that's that's true. Um, so a couple chapters before we have the story of Israel, the people of God who have been built and formed and have been hauled off into slavery and have been oppressed and have now been set free by God and given this profound gift and insight into who the God who created them is. Then they see their leader, Moses, go up on a mountain, which is shrouded with clouds and lightning and fire and terrifying stuff. They look up at the mountain where God, where Moses has gone to speak with God. It looks terrifying. And they're like, oh, no, he's totally gone. He's totally done for. There's fire. There's lightning. That's a terrifying mountain. This God, and this is, this is a time in history where Israel is by and large poly, polytheistic. They're just slowly being introduced to this idea that there's only one God. Because they're coming out of a culture that had taught them and undone the faith that they had previously had that taught them there's lots of gods. Most of them are out to get you. Most of them are dangerous. Most of whom you never know if you're on their good side or their bad side. So you should be really terrified of everything. And now they say, well, there's this other god that we didn't really know about named, named Yahweh. And he's now led us out of slavery and he crossed the Red Sea and he killed the Egyptians. And now it looks like he killed Moses too which makes us terrified. So maybe that was not, that's not the God to go with. And they backslide into worship of old gods because they're terrified of the world around them. And this is what human beings do. When we are terrified of a world that doesn't make sense, we slide into things that are bad for us and dangerous, but feel comfortable. And so they fall to the golden calf. And in the Jewish tradition, you probably know this, in the Jewish tradition, the sin of, the, of worshiping one of the gods of Egypt, the golden calf, was on par, if not worse, than the original sin of Adam and Eve. It's called the second fall in Jewish tradition because, I mean, Adam and Eve had a pretty big fall and that kind of disrupted the whole cosmos, right? But the people of Israel were shown who God is. He set them free. He was not just revealed as, as creator. He was revealed as redeemer, as sanctifier, as he brings us out. And then they went back on it. And it was this dark, horrible, horrific period. Which is actually like it's it's a fundamental shift in story. So like what what happens is that it, it, when you have this revelation of who God is in a tradition and how God is relating to the other nations to say like you know what I'm going to abandon the entire story. Right. That's really what they're saying is that th these th th this is a fiction and I'm going to leave this to. Uh, acclimate myself to something else. Well, it kind of. And to give a totally different interpretation of every event of history is really, it's fundamental. But at the same time, this is a story for Israel that they'd just been reintroduced to. It was new to them. Right. And they're saying, we don't actually buy that story. So we're going to go back to the storyline that we kind of did buy in. That's exactly what I'm saying. Yeah. And maybe I took you, I took you to mean some, the other Yeah. Yeah. The no, it's good clarifying. No, no, you're right. But you're absolutely right. But, I mean, because all, it's all about narrative. Right. It's what is all the narrative, about the narrative that you're going to inform your life on? How are you going to, like, what, how are you, what is story are you telling yourself about what's happening on Moses on the top of the mountain? Is he in touch with the father or has he just gotten blown up? Father Peter, this is, and not to make too big of a thing, this is the road to Emmaus, again, in a lot of ways. Yes. These are people who have bought into a new story. Oh my gosh, could it be? Could this be reality? Could the story that I thought about my life be actually something else? Right. And could there be this great news? And you have the road to Emmaus couple 
who then leave. They're like, that story didn't play out. That was the wrong one. We're going to disappointedly go back. Right. And that's why history rhymes, right? You can see the rhythm here. And so, and oh, why actually the Christian movement actually takes to itself every single story. It has to. It has to by necessity. By and necessity. Then, and then to make sense of it because it's uh, like is to be historical. We yeah. are a historical people that are unafraid of any history of any people in any age anywhere. I mean, that's what we just celebrated in Pentecost. We have to be. And too right. many Christians don't do that. But Christianity as an entity is that that's why fundamentally we, why we don't weaponize scripture and just proof text stuff right. because we're saying no we're we understand the full expression the long game of the story right. and this is the interpretive key we have actually discovered right here and Absolutely. so i can understand why you're at the base of sinai losing your mind and to not there's i think it's scott hahn he said something like and it's a little provocative he said, if there's some sin that's committed in the Bible that you can't kind of picture yourself falling to, then you haven't really understood the story. Right. Because it's really easy to look at these people and be like, golden calf, like what the heck? What's wrong with you people? Until you see it in the course of a narrative and you're like, oh, you know, I can kind of imagine how you got there. Right. And that's what makes this. So that's the backdrop, right? It, that's It's funny. It's like I, I, I always think about this weird goat thing that uh, my... my we have family friends, and they worked at a foundry, and they poured a bunch of um, not al- the foundry, not the foundry. <laughs> they no. poured a bunch of aluminum onto the ground, and it made this kind of like bugling mountain sheep thing. And they put it above their um, their uh, their uh, mantelpiece because it was huge, and and it had just kind of spontaneously formed, and and it was beautiful, and you could see it as clearly as day. Wow, it's like the the miraculous like toast where people see the blessed. Exactly. So they melted. So I, I, every single time, the I, gravity with which you took my comment is, <laughs> is striking. Well, because you grasp it I in know. this totally absurd, humorous way. But it's still that it's it's still nothing. there. Okay. But that's actually what I think the golden calf was: is that they actually just poured it out on the sand in a kind of a a, a way that was uh, kind of trying to to grasp the prophetic, and it appeared itself as the golden calf and they said look it's a miraculous thing that we spontaneously are trying to kind of like what's happening they're trying to they're grasping and it appears and they say look this is what happens and they hold it up and it was actually a spontaneous expression that was uh, that, that gave them comfort i've never considered it that way Really, and I'm going to have to sit with that to be to be totally honest with you, because in my mind this was always very purposely. The, the, like they like they actually did it, and and the only reason why I have it is because of the family friend who had a spontaneous mountain goat on their mantle. So later on, Aaron, who's the one who crafts the golden calf, says, "Do you remember this?" And I've always made fun of it. Always, right. he says something when Moses confronts him. He's like, "Well, they gave me all this gold, and and I put in a thing, and, and a golden calf popped out." Right. How was I to know? And I've always been like, what a lie. Like, what a, you're just covering your, covering your, your but, behind. And, you know, of course you knew how to do this. And I, you get the sense that he knew exactly what he was doing. But that reminds us of something like you can kind of see, like, 
Oh, people who are desperate for a sign of some sort. Our leader Maybe just got something. blown up on the mountain. What are we going to do? I'm going to need to sit with that. That's actually pretty profound to me. That's yeah. That humanizes a story that I've, I've kind of dishumanized in a lot of ways and vilified. Yeah. I'm going to need to sit with that. Okay. Well, no, that's a big one for me. But yeah. that's the context out of which this passage comes. So when it says, now early in the morning Moses went up to Sinai, what it means is he went back up to Sinai. He's come down now. He's seen the golden calf. He's not dead. He's still alive. He's called everybody out. Everything's changed. The priesthood has now begun to shift. Now he goes back up Mount Sinai, as the Lord commanded him, took the stone tablets, the Ten Commandments that he had with him that he had broke the first time because he was so ticked off. Yep. Now they're back. And he goes up. And I want to read what this would say in Hebrew, which the English translation avoids. So did the Hebrew because of fear of the name of God and misusing it. Yeah. But in all humility, I actually want to use it here because I think it changes how this sounds. Okay. It says, having come down in a cloud, the Lord stood with Moses there and proclaimed his name, which in your English translations say Lord. Lord. (laughs) But we know Lord is not God's name. His name is I am. And so what it says is he proclaimed his name Yahweh, which means I am. And then it says, and thus I am passed before him and cried out, I am, I am a merciful and gracious God, which makes a little more sense than the Lord, the Lord, a merciful and gracious God. He is declaring something about himself. He's saying, Moses, I mean, imagine the intimacy of this conversation. You have just fallen in a more profound way. Your people, you and the people that are with you, have just fallen in a more profound way possibly than Adam and Eve. I am. I am. Hear me. I am. He repeats it. A merciful and gracious God. I'm slow to anger. I'm rich in kindness and fidelity. And at that, Moses bowed down to the ground in worship. He worships God at the statement of God's mercy toward the most grievous sin maybe in human history. Gosh, you know what's interesting is the Lord designates a relationship of dominance, right? And that's not why it's worded that way, but it does it does make us think that, right? Right? Like right. If we yeah. just have we when I say Lord, I have a that. story yeah. about what a Lord is, right? And whereas, subject, Lord, subject, master, slave, all those right. Things, where yeah. it says I am, I am, it's self referential, saying like I want to reveal something of my heart here. To you, right. I am. I am merciful and gracious. Doesn't God, it change this is the, the way s- this sounds. Yeah, like you're telling the wrong story about who I am. Which is why he keeps repeating, "I am. I am." You're telling the wrong story about me. I am this. I am. I'm not that. I'm this. Right. And one of the things I find so significant about this, and this is the the I, the cool connection I thought of right before we started the podcast, and I read it. Um, in the Jewish tradition, and I didn't know this, and I thought this was cool, and it's a, it was almost a side note in a book I was reading, um, Exodus 34, this passage from Exodus 34, 6 through 9, is the Jewish version of John three sixteen. It's the Jewish version of the football verse. Yeah. The football verse is the football verse because for so many Christians, it summarizes in a quick one sentence, uh, encapsulating way who God is and in, how he has revealed himself. In a single address. In a single address. This is the Jewish version of that passage. And it's repeated over 40 times in the Old Testament. Again and again, because this is, as the narrative continues on, what people are always called back to remember about God. Right. And so there is a direct connection with how those two verses actually, not just are used, but how they exist within the narrative. Yes. Because people said, no, this is what we know. Despite everything that happens and all the things we feel and all that we're witnessing happening in the world around us, 
here's what we have to come back to. This is what we know. Mm. Even when it's hard to know it, we have to remember this. Which is, again, that's how people use John 3.16. Right. God so loved the world. I mean, because this is saying, oh, we stink. We've fallen to this huge, profound sin. And God's saying, I'm just and merciful and gracious. And then we fast forward and we see how much worse human sin can actually get. Right. And then we have Jesus show up, go far beyond this, and saying, I am the one who will sacrifice my life for you. For the, he so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. I mean, so these two verses are doing kind of the same thing. That's the neat connection I, I kind of saw here. Which is awesome, which we get. And so then we move on and we go into the Daniel. The Daniel. Dan, the Daniel song. Yeah. Which is the three young men in the... Um, um, uh, in the fiery furnace. In the fiery furnace. So we remember a Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, which are Babylonian names, right? But uh-huh. they're also known as three other names. Hananiah, Azariah, and Mishael. And Mishael, which are Hebrew names. So that's probably their true Hebrew names. When they were taken off into slavery in Babylon, Babylon loved to rename people with, he- with, with Babylonian names. So they're the same three figures. Um, and I, I believe, I have to double check this, I believe Daniel 3 is um, a part of what's called the Deuterocanonical books, which doesn't show up in all of our Protestant friends' Bibles. It's sort of put in the middle of this narrative as this, it's almost like a little fervorino right. being put in the middle of this narrative of, okay, here's what's happening. Here's what's going on. Here's the story. Here's the good guys. Here's the bad guys. Here's the heroes. Here's their sacrifice. Here's their courage. Let's pause and hear what's coming out of the hearts of these three individuals that are being sacrificed who actually trust in the nature of what they've learned surely from this first reading that has probably been taught to them throughout the years over and over and over again. So we pray this uh, in the liturgy, the hours all the time. Oh yeah? Yeah, yeah. So this is deeply familiar to anybody who is uh, who is uh, regularly praying liturgy the hours. Cool. Um, which is interesting because they don't give us the very end of it. Um, yeah, yeah and, I'm right. It's not in... It's our not, friends by right because so. uh, Father Son. It, so it actually says, "Blessed, uh, blessed are you, Father Son and Holy Spirit." That's how it actually finishes. Really? Yeah. So um, in the liturgy, of the in hours. the liturgy of the hours. Wow. Um, but 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 it's actually a part of it, depending on the translation of how you do it. Um, huh, that's interesting. Yeah, that's and, fascinating. And so it's it's actually really so so it, in a certain sense it's a mimetic in this in. Mm. in it evokes the fact that they are in there, the three are in there, but then there's a fourth that's with them, like the son of God. Always. So what happens is, is, that, mm-hmm. is that if you know the story, you say that what's freaking mm-hmm. them out is that there's actually, a, a, oh yeah, it says, the four, it says a, there's a fourth person in there who looks like the son of man. So, so it's really, that's really powerful. So, so this is actually what they're doing and what they're saying in the midst of it is blessed is everything. So we say sun and moon, all of creation, and then they go priests and then they go, they actually start with creation and go all the way mm. through the liturgical life of the Hebrew nation up to God. To the temple, in the kingdom, right. in the tabernacle, in the Holy of Holies. Yeah. Right. And so it's, so. Among he, the cherubim. Right. And. And then it, and ultimately, then it goes to Father, Son, Spirit. Wow. So, so really, what wow. it's invoking, it it itself doesn't say it, but it's actually invoke, it's, it's invoking. It, it's yes. implying a Trinitarian expression, saying that the full of the full um, creation is telling the story of God. It's kind of like Psalm nineteen. 
And because God has chosen to reveal himself in that way. Right. Even creation itself can't help but reveal that in in the nature of the God of the Godhead. <laughs> right. The, the three persons of the Trinity. Ooh. That's good. Which takes us to the second reading. Which takes us to the second reading. Which does have explicitly the Trinity mentioned. It says, brothers and sisters, rejoice, mend your ways, encourage one another, agree with one another, live in peace, and the love of and the God of love and peace will be with you. Greet one another with a holy kiss, and the holy ones will greet you. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with all of you. That's the prayer that you tend to pray at the end of Mass, right? That's where you get that, that invocation. I do have to say a word about 2 Corinthians, though, because this is, if you just read this and you're going to hear it at Mass, and it just sounds like, oh, nice, God is love, agree with one another, get along, God <laughs> is love, cool, the end. Kumbaya, awesome. here we go. 2 Corinthians is one of the ugliest books of the New Testament. And I don't mean <laughs> ugly in the sense of it's an unpleasant book, but no, it's... No, because it, it, it's identifying, dude, it's like, real heavy div- division and sin in, like, really straightforward ways. Well... I would argue that 1 Corinthians does that. 1 oh. Corinthians is Paul calling out the Corinthians, talking about division, talking right. about sin. There's incest that's called out. There's all these things that basically saying, you guys stink. Corinth was Good known to be- was pointed out because you guys stink. Incense, incest. <laughs> there's an incest. There's an excommunication that happens in 1 Corinthians. I mean, it's right. rough. Right. It's known to be probably one of the best catechized churches in the ancient world. Paul lived there for 18 months. So no, they have a lot of head knowledge, but their hearts are very far, and their sin is very deep. And Paul spends 1 Corinthians calling them out in a pretty huge way. I mean, it's a rough letter. Right. Um, We don't have it historically and archaeologically, but there was a letter that passes in between, right, that the Corinthians respond to Paul. And we know that there was a letter because Paul quotes it and references it in 2 Corinthians. And what we know about that letter that happens in between is that that was not a well-received letter. That when Paul calls him out for all these things, they let him have it, and they attack him. As most of us do when we feel like we're being critiqued or called out or challenged in some way, right? We tend to lash out. That's what sin does to us. And they're like, who do you think you are? How dare you accuse us of this stuff? Who are you? And what they do, and we know that they do it because this is what Paul goes on the defensive to attack in 2 Corinthians. What they apparently say, and again, he quotes it, is that who do you think you are? You are nothing. Look at you, Paul. You're short. You're bald. You're not well-spoken. You're a loser. You're persecuted. You're shipwrecked. You're, sin- you're, you're sick all the time. Right. You're constantly being beat up. You, Paul, are a loser. You're not a Moses. Moses was this big monumental figure. He, he parted seas. You're a loser who's not well-spoken. Who, Yeah, you're, you talk a big talk on paper. Like Your, your letters are great, Paul. But in person... You stink. You're ugly. You're dumb. You're not what, but literally they're, they're going after him. And the main accusation is you are not a legitimate apostle because you suffer. Look at how much you suffer. Look at how much everybody beats you up and picks on you. And look at how God obviously doesn't love you because you suffer so many things. Yes. And I love second Corinthians because Paul does two things. The easy tact you would expect is for Paul to come out. And again, this is 2000 years of hindsight. Right. And say, let me explain to you the nature of suffering in the theological tradition of the church. But Paul doesn't just do that. He does do that. But he first actually, and he does it in the letter in one of the most beautiful um, self-expressing ways I think possible. He actually goes to the question himself. And in the letter, 
it's as if he's asking God the question, why are you allowing me to get so, you're right, you guys. I am so beaten down. I am so beat up. I am, I feel so worthless and so sickened and so attacked constantly. Why God, why do you allow that to happen? He, he, he invites you into his prayer in that. And then he gives you his conclusion and he gives this famous, do you remember the, the, the band Jars of Clay? Yeah. I love Jars of Clay. Back in 90s Christian rock. Yeah. They get their name from 2 Corinthians because he says what he comes to the conclusion of is, I'm just a beat up jar of clay. But the jar is not good for the jar. It's good for what it holds inside. And I'm a beat up, chipped, broken jar of clay, earthen vessel that holds within my body the crucified Jesus Christ. And if you look at me and you say, well, you're just such a loser, he says, yeah, absolutely, because it's not about me. It's about what I carry. And what I carry with me is the crucified Lord inside of my very body. And so if you see me beat up and you know, and persecuted and everything else, it's because he's showing you the witness of what I hold. And what he says is, Corinthians, if you haven't experienced this yet, if, if you can look at me and see the persecution and the suffering and to say, man, what a loser, what kind of a loser Christian experience is suffering. Be prepared because if you take this seriously, it's going to hit you too. Mm -hmm. And thanks be to God when it hits you because you will have had me to tell you how to approach your life when the suffering comes, which it inevitably, inevitably will if you follow this through. Yes. And so thanks be to God that he allowed me to be a broken, beat up, balding, poorly spoken what witness to him yes because hopefully i pray that you guys take that so when he concludes by saying brothers and sisters rejoice mend your ways encourage one another it's coming on the heels of the rest of the letter where he was attacked and he says you will be too if you're true to the message of the gospel so mend your ways recognize to see the face of christ in your suffering brothers and sisters actually have the the grace to see what God has put in front of you. Encourage one another. Don't tear each other down. Right. Um, agree with each other. Live in peace instead of discord and disunity and all that you're doing. This isn't just a nice little conclusion at the end of a happy-go-lucky letter. Right. This is an attack by someone who is uh, absorbing the blows and the shots of someone else who have attacked him, who are actually his children in Christ because mm. he's baptized them. Which is the story of Moses. Which is the story of Moses. And the story the, of how God receives the blows and the attacks of his people, even at Sinai. Which is the story of Hananiah, Azariah, and Mishael. Absolutely right. And and, and which is the story of Jesus Christ. Of Jesus Christ. Which leads us into which this gospel. Which is how all right. of these fit so beautifully together. Right. Like, that's actually so... Wow. It's really interesting. Like the, I think Second Corinthians is the glue. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm looking because how many prophets do we have who are really beat up? We, All of them, <laughs> yeah. right? Like yeah. Old Testament prophets. That's the story. They're yeah. they're really literally beat up. Jesus is the prophet. He's the he. It's the story of the of the vineyard. He says, "I yeah. sent you all these people, and you beat them up until you finally sent the son, and you killed him." Right. And like. But then that actually, that pattern actually lives out. Like, even as you're talking, I can see the emotion in your heart. Cause like the truth is, is that we're, we're, we're beat up. Yeah. I mean, we make jokes and we, we do a lot of stuff on the podcast, but the truth is, is that there's been 
literally a lot of hard times. I mean, I, I looked at I looked at um, Father Chris Constantine. He came to me, and he was he was he had to get his alb from the parish here <laughs> to go get ordained. But he had to like I had to like not touch that it because be of coronavirus because oh, the bishop wanted to make sure that they could be ordained right? without no, like being coronad. Father Ryan O'Neill was one of the priests that was going to be at the ordination. He had to be like sequestered in a house for a bunch of time just just safe exactly and and but father chris uh i mean he looked at me and he and he uh had seen after the time he saw that there was like life that returned to my face Mm. and he was like deeply moved he was telling me about this yesterday and i and i just and it's just interesting because like on the podcast you you you, we're really trying to open your hearts and we're share our very selves but we don't share the fullness of ourselves because um because it's not for this public display in right. the same way. Right. I mean, like a lot of you know the, the the stuff, but that's where like the pattern of of the Trinity is not just that you draw close to Jesus Christ and in the in the Blessed Trinity and and all of a sudden we're going to be blissed out and everything's going to be all hunky dory. It's the opposite. It's the opposite. Is that actually we're going to be conformed to Christ right. and that we have a particular mission that we are soldiers right. and. And what happens is is that soldiers get some PTSD because they see the stuff. They, the they get they get sent into where it's dark. Right. The the God's brightest lights are sent into the darkest caves. I mean that's always. that that's always what happens. And and we live in a dark world right now. And right. this 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 is the truth. And we're trying to point out the fact that the story about how we are and who we're meant to, to be within the world, it really, really matters what we're telling about our telling to ourselves and telling to the rest of the world. And this is really what Paul Paul's point is, is that the, the reality is that Paul is suffering some real injustices. Right. Jesus suffered injustice. What's the response? Capital. Of people- Injustice. Absolutely. What's the response of people who suffer injustice to return injustice? What's this, the human temptation? We feel like we've been treated unjustly. We return it. Right. What's the Christian response? What's the only way that it actually stops is for someone to absorb the injustice and forgive it. And this is where That's we were we gospel. were talking even before the the podcast that that Jesus Christ is the one who does that, and that what happens is that when we join ourselves to Him, He assigns some portion to us. But it, it's not for us to go in to say, I'm going to be the one who absorbs all the stuff in the world. If oh. you if you do that, then you end up possessed Absolutely. because Satan is like, oh, you're open. I'm going to just, I'm going to destroy you. Right. Versus right. Jesus who says, come and come to me, all you who are labor and burdened, and I will give you rest. But th- that rest is one day a week. Absolutely. We got a Sabbath, you know, and we got the Lord's Day. Absolutely. And, 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 but, but yet at the same time, we're soldiers and we're on mission and we're going out and we're meant to be doing things, which means that we're going to take blows that Jesus is going to allow. And that's why we go and we take time in prayer. And, and he's going to allow us to take other people's blows, which Paul, right. is, Paul literally says, I'm going to take your blows on your behalf. Right. Because somebody's got to handle it. And, and you guys seem like you're, you're a little too soft at the moment to actually handle real persecution and justice. So I will take it on your behalf. Right. In an attempt to prepare you for the day that you're mature enough to do that. Right. But violence, injustice, all this stuff only actually stops when someone absorbs it and says, with the grace of Jesus Christ, I will take it on. And on behalf of you, with the grace of Jesus, not because I'm going out looking for it. Like you said, that's dangerous. With a view to love, to say right. that this exactly is actually right. for a purpose, which is love. Right. And and I look, and I look at the people who are, are most special to me in my life, and they're the ones who embody this the most. Hmm. 
is are the ones who mm-hmm. who have said, you know what? Okay, I will stand up, right. and uh, I will. I, and 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 in standing up, I know that I'm gonna actually have to hit. I, I'm gonna get hit. Get hit, right? And, and it's so funny. It's like I look at our contemporary time, and I and I just see a lot of bullies out there who mm-hmm. are who are wanting people to take hits. Because this is the the uh, the exact opposite experience of this is that I will take nothing and I will and I will make you experience it. absolutely right and um and and that that level is is like th- that's what happens and that's why like bullied people bully people absolutely right hurt absolutely people right. hurt people and it just goes back and forth for all of eternity this is this is the human story and this is why and the, that's why this, Jesus is unfathomable with what he actually does with the injustice of the world absolutely. Because you want, I mean, you, you read this and you want him to fight. You don't want to see the hero spit on in the story. Like, you want to see him defeat all the bad guys. Right. But the bad guy was different than we thought. That's the whole point of the story of salvation history. The bad mm-hmm. guy was not who we wanted the bad guy to be. You know what I mean? Yes. We want the bad guy to be that guy over there who I don't like, who gave me the dirty look. But the bad guy is the evil and Satan actually permeating all of our hearts, which is what he absorbs and defeats. But it's a hard story to sit and watch and listen to. Right. And then the skirmishes throughout time are actually saying, no, Jesus actually wants to enter into this moment. And how do I participate in that? Which is what the gospel is. I know we haven't really said much about the gospel, but that is the explanation of the gospel. That is what John is saying. Yes. John, by the way, um, this passage comes right after Jesus' explanation to Nicodemus, um, this Pharisee, this leader of religious leader of the people, influential, who comes to him under the cover of night, and he's like, what the heck? What are, who are you, right? He wants to know, but he doesn't have the guts to go out in the light of day to admit that he's so intrigued by what this Jesus is doing. He's so afraid of it. And Jesus speaks to him. He talks about being born of water and the spirit, the whole baptism thing. And then John has this thing where you never quite can tell (laughs) where Jesus stops conversing with someone and launches into a discourse about something else, right? (laughs) Yeah. So I don't know if he's still talking to Nicodemus or now John is just giving us the speech, but Nicodemus only makes sense if then we have this, which falls hot on the heels of like, this doesn't make sense unless you understand who Jesus is and how he's the fulfillment of this entire narrative. You know that God loved the world. You knew that God loved Israel because he said it in Exodus. You repeat it. You pray it. You know these passages. Did you know that he loved the whole world and gave his own son so that he could absorb all of these things so that everyone can have eternal life? Right. So that the world wouldn't be condemned? I know how much as human beings we want to condemn everybody because we hate injustice and our minds can't deal with it. But he doesn't want actually that for the world and he doesn't want it for us. Right. He actually wants to absorb it so that the world can all be saved. Right. We want justice. He wants mercy. And that's where it becomes really hard to be a Christian in this world. So then the Father is gracious and merciful and acknowledges even in our set. I am. I am, he says. And mm-hmm. then he says, then he shows his heart. And the only way that we can process this is after Pentecost. That's absolutely right. And in, in, in a certain sense, it's like, it's, it's like the church is trying to show us the Father and how the Father speaks of himself to Moses. Absolutely. And trying to show us Jesus and how Jesus enters in and gives us an opportunity to, to live a new story and to mm-hmm. not actually have to take the stories of old onto ourselves, um, but to, to actually be a, a people who are set free, literally. Because uh, all the other stuff is not free. No. No, not, not no. even close. No, it's so bound. Right. Yeah. 
That's Ooh. what we got. Ooh, how? So happy solemnity of the Holy Trinity. Happy solemnity, you guys. Thanks Hopefully for... you understand the theological nature of the Trinity now. Dude. <laughs> <laughs> I was actually thinking to myself, I was like, I was like, this was a, I, I re- I'm really thankful for what we talked about today, Scott. Like that was actually really por- important for me. Yeah. But I, but I also realized that it's like not anything that you think about when you're like trying to do the technical definition of the father is not the son and the son is not the spirit and the spirit is not the father. And you're right. And like, and you got diagrams and then everything that you can say about that actually isn't anything that you can say about that because we, the apophatic and the cataphatic way. And you're like, I don't know. And you're like, you're like, can we say anything about the Trinity? And then you're just like, you want to go get a drink? <laughs> like that's kind of where you end up if you're like trying to do the theological Trinity gig. Absolutely, unless you do theology like the scriptures do theology, and right? And all of a sudden, it's a little different. Then, it, then it actually like I it's can hang fruitful. with that. I, it's life giving. Yeah, because I I can't do a lot of the abstract theology with the Trinitarian stuff, and I, I there are people who can, and I'm really happy because most of the <laughs> you guys go for it. Most of the heresies in the church are uh, like the, we do need to deal with that. The worse the heresy, the higher the reality you're that's talking true. about. Yeah, that's true. So if you that's get true. you get heretical things going on in the Trinity, everything else gets screwed up. That's true. That's so I'm right. so I'm really thankful for those abstract theologians. That Thanks, you guys. Thanks, guys. <laughs> Thanks, Abstract. The, the rest of us, we kind of have to dig in in the story. We need a drink. <laughs> That's the real. <laughs> hey, God bless you guys. Thanks for joining us. See you next week. Okay. The Word on the Hill podcast is a production of the Aquinas Institute for Catholic Thought here in beautiful Boulder, Colorado. You can find us online at www.thomascenter.org A-I-C-T. And you can find the Lanky Guys podcast at lankyguys.org. Thank you so much for listening, and we will be back next time.